You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 155. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Welcome to the second part of my interview with the multifaceted Julie Nathanson. Julie has worked on many high-profile animated projects, such as Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, Elena of Avalor, and Avengers Assemble. She's also worked on major games such as Call of Duty, Far Cry 5, and LEGO DC Supervillains. In addition to her voice acting work, Julie is also a professional screenwriter. She was a staff writer and then executive story editor on the NBC TV series Just Deal, and she's written and consulted on games such as Guildlings, an RPG currently available on Apple Arcade, and Vader Immortal, a Star Wars VR series. And if that weren't enough, Julie also has a master's degree in clinical psychology. Her interests and skills are wide and far-ranging, and I'm so excited to share her journey with you. In the previous episode, Julie and I talked about how she got started as an actress. She shared with us some of the most influential experiences from her childhood and how her passion for performing led her to pursue acting and singing as a career. Our conversation was a deep dive into the psychology of a creator, and I highly recommend you listen to it first before moving on to part two of our talk together. In this part of our interview, we explore the details of how Julie transitioned from her on-camera acting career into voice acting. Julie was fortunate to be hired as an actress in soap operas and TV shows, but she never felt fully relaxed in front of the camera. Ironically, the catalyst for her shifting her focus to voice acting came from an insult she received online. A viewer criticized the sound of her voice in the comment section of her soap opera's webpage and said she sounded like a chipmunk. Instead of letting that discourage her, Julie took it as inspiration to capitalize on her unique voice. Discovering the world of voiceover was like coming home for her, and she's never looked back. Also in this episode, Julie explains the three-step process she uses to develop a character and how it helps make her performances grounded and authentic. She even shares with us a recording of her as a little girl trying out different voices while telling knock-knock jokes. It seems she had a fascination with voice acting from a very young age. I find Julie's journey completely inspiring, and I hope you will too. And now, the feature segment. What I really like to do now <laughs> is let's shift gears and let's talk about the nuts and bolts of the voice acting. Okay. Right? So you've, you've, you, had, um, you were working on the soap, you, were, you had gotten your <laughs> commercial agent, and then I've heard... The little birdie told me that maybe you had a little experience on your soap that inspired you to go in the voice acting direction. Can I you, did. Can you tell me that story? I did. I'm happy to tell you the story. Okay. Um, so I I think at the time I was out here in Los Angeles mm -hmm. doing another on-camera gig. I was working on um, 
the, to date myself, the original Beverly Hills 90210. Um, <laughs> and at the time, some a soap that I was, a different soap I was working on mm-hmm. was airing. Oh, so, so wait a minute. So there was a transition there. You went from New York to L.A.? I actually came out to Los Angeles ju- at the time just to do uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Okay. And so, I was bi-coastal. I was coming back and forth to do acting in both coasts. So how long you, had you been working on uh, Days of Our Lives before you... One Life... I, oh, oh, sorry, One Life, one to, life live. to Live. I'm going to um, mix them all up. I had bad. probably been on the show probably just a couple of years. You know, maybe it was okay. a year and a half that I was on it. So it was, it was um, probably within that time frame. So a year and a half pretty rough. quick. You, 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 th- and that was primarily what you were doing uh, <clears throat> professionally as an actor, was working on One Life to Live in Working your... on One Life to Live, I was working on um, other shows at the time or films that would come up. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it's, it's so funny, it's so long ago, thinking about the on-camera stuff. Um, but I, yeah, it was probably about a year in okay. to doing um, the on-camera life. And I was in Los Angeles, working on a different show. Did you audition for 90210 in New York? I flew out to audition for it. Did your agent submit you for it? I had, this is another thing where I had somebody say, hey, you should be seen by the people at 90210. So I said, oh, I'll take a plane out to Los Angeles and I'll meet with those people. There you go. And I did, and they said, we'd like you to come in and audition. I said, okay. So that's a whole, that's a much longer story. (laughs) But I was another fortunate connection and I was very lucky that they wanted to find a space for me there. Gotcha. Um, But while I was, you know, here and and curious. Here being LA. Here being Los Angeles. Yeah. um, I thought, I want to know what the fans think of me on this soap opera. I don't even know if 90210 had, had aired at that point, but I was, I was, I want to see what the fans have thought about it. And this was, lo- this was so long ago that no one said, don't read the comments. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to read the comments. I want to yep. see if the fans think I'm awesome because yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a great thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, and I went on to, you know, these antiquated message, message boards and, um, and the, the direct quote is, She's real pretty and all, but I have to turn the volume off on my TV because it's like Alvin and the Chipmunks have invaded my living room. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, my response was, um, "You bleep out curses, right?" Sure. Great. First of all, f- you. Second of all, <laughs> I'm gonna go make money on that. Um, but I thought, nice. well, if if someone thinks I sound like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I'll learn to modulate my voice and and n- not make squeaky sounds, you know, on camera. But, I, but I'm actually curious. Maybe this is something that I should look into. I'm trained as a classical singer. I'm trained as an actor. Mm-hmm. Let's see about this. So when I went back to New York, I went to CESD, CED at the time, mm-hmm. and I said, "Say, you know, somebody made fun of me." And said, I sound like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we try out this whole voiceover thing? You know, I'm trained as a singer and I kind of know what I'm doing. Well, see me. I don't know. Let's yeah. see. So they sent me on my first audition, which was for uh, promos for Lifetime Television. Okay. And it was for a block of shows that they were calling The Place. And it was The Dish, The Wire, Pandora, Three Blind Dates, The Place on Lifetime, Come As You Are. So I booked it. <laughs> but it wasn't just that one gig. It was a year-long job. It was constantly doing promos. And it paid my rent. Right, and because I, every time an episode was upcoming, you they, were the promo for the episode. Absolutely. So, yeah. so it was this consistent work. I, you know, didn't have to do the side jobs anymore. I was making good money. And mm-hmm. I never looked back. Yeah. For me, voiceover was 
and this sounds so romantic, but it was like coming home. Mm. So while I've always loved performing and being on stage and also on camera, I know that I was self-conscious. I mm. can see it in my own performances. You were self-conscious when you were on camera. Mm -hmm. Mm. I was aware of the camera. It's mm. really hard not to be. Sure. Um, but I don't think I don't think anybody ever really saw a long-standing career for me beyond. Oh, I spilled that on myself at the time, right? Yeah, so they, they would typecast you as the dits. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, and 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 that's part and parcel to the on-camera world, mm -hmm. and having a young voice, I'm sure, you know, added to that mix. Um, I was the rollerblading barmaid on a show with, um, they brought, they brought me and, um, oh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'll leave that, I'll leave that one alone. But, um, the, you know, my, my experience at the microphone was I just felt free. Mm. And I, I had never thought of being a voice actor as an option, mm -hmm. I didn't really process it as a profession, mm -hmm. and and I've I've bemoaned this a bit in the past when I'm asked about it because I feel like God, my story would be so much better if I always wanted to be a voice actor. And the truth wow. of the matter is that it found me, mm -hmm. and it was right. So I will tell you that. Um, so I I was thinking about you know that we're going to sit down and talk with each other today. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, it's really weird that there really isn't anything in my history that would have predicted this. Mm -hmm. So I called mom. She oh, was boy. like, yeah, bullshit. So <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? She said, you would sit in front of Sesame Street and you would imitate their voices. Mm. She said, don't you remember Grover? And I was like, oh, today, kids, we're going to learn about near and far. <laughs> this is near and this is far. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, Mom, I do remember. And she said, yeah, you you were constantly doing voices. You were constantly mimicking. Yeah. And she would indulge my mimicking her. She wow. would let me make fun of her. I one day had her rolling on the floor for an hour and a half. We clocked it where I was just imitating her and performing as her. And I didn't realize how much of that was vocal, right? Yeah. And then the other thing I brought, I brought this thing. Oh, you brought a thing? Oh, yes. <laughs> Julie has brought us I brought a, a little thing. show and tell. So, so I forgot. This is in my conversation with my mom today. I okay. was like, oh, my God. And then you sent me the CD. My mom digitized this cassette tape. Because like I said, it was 150. I'm 1,000 years old. Yeah, I know. So, so my mom reminded me. So when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was sit around with her tape recorder and record things, right? Right. So, so there's this recording. I took a little clip of it to share with you. Okay. Of me, I think I'm five years old. And I'm, I'm asking if you, and this is just me, if you uh -huh. want to hear a knock-knock joke, and I start doing both voices. And that is all for today, except um, I would not say Oliver the town. Oliver the town. 
people are telling on that joke. Ha 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 ha. Now how would you like it if I did that to you? Now I'll do one to you. Now, here we go. Um, knock knock. Who's there? Anna. And who? And another thing. How many times do I knock at your door before you answer it? Hmm, that makes me angry. So, who cares? Oh well, bye bye. <laughs> you are the first person to bring in archaeological, right? Because it's from ancient times, it's Babylonian times, right? Archaeological evidence of your young voice acting career. That is brilliant. I I like I was so happy realizing I had this somewhere. And I was like, maybe I'll dig up something and it'll be and I didn't realize that I mean, I correct myself in that. Yes. I did one voice. I was like, knock, knock, who's there? Who's there? I changed it. Yeah, you're like, no, that's not good I enough. I don't like that one. Let me correct it. I do that all day long in my home studio. Why wouldn't I do it at five years old? Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And then the hiccups. You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> script hiccups like that. The hiccups are my favorite part, personally. Well, and you know who else d- did that? <laughs> Mel Blank. <laughs> So if you if you get like the Looney Tunes Golden DVD collection, one of the DVD extras is the raw recording session of Mel Blanc. Oh my god! And you'll hear him do a line as Bugs, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that from that cartoon. And he'll do another, oh yeah, I remember that from that cartoon. And then he'll say a line, and you're like, well, that sounds like Bugs, but I don't remember that line. And literally, you'll hear him in his normal voice go, that's not it, <gasps> and do the line again, yes. exactly the way you remember it from the cartoon. Yes. So I it's the it. it's the same process. It's the self-correcting process. Yeah. Right. It's like I've tried this mm-hmm. thing, I, I'm recalling it, I'm listening to it, it's not satisfying <laughs> me artistically, and so I then must correct it and make yeah. it better. Which is why I actually love self-directing at home. Um, because I, I know I'm I'm hypercritical of myself. I'm I, I think detail oriented is a very nice way for me to call myself <laughs> what I really am, which is completely obsessive. And <laughs> and I do I like to kind of play around with how can I make this better. Right. But if it's all about how it sounds, uh-huh. that's I mean, this is this is a technical piece, but you know, if I'm too invested in the way something sounds, is it perfect enough? It stops being real. Yeah. So I have to hope that my little tiny self just didn't feel like that one was authentic enough yeah no it didn't feel right oh my god so while i have always held that there was no history behind my voice acting apparently i was wrong we have forensic evidence we have forensic evidence (laughs) (laughs) that is brilliant thank you so much for bringing that in you're welcome that was that was quite the magic trick um well, that brings up an interesting thing, this notion of um, self-directing. Mm-hmm. The fact that you like it, it usually can be a real quagmire. Mm. Because I know for me, I can get so perfectionist about something that I can worry something until it's just mannered and weird. Yep. And sometimes I need an external person to say, no, your second take was the best one, let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Or your first take was the best one, let it go. So how do you go about self-directing without becoming mannered and and awkward in in the final uh, performance. Mm. So I I will say that again like don't try this at home kids because I I will sometimes spend 
more time than I should admit on an audition. Yeah. If I have the time, I mean, I, I have truly, I mean, for some high-level stuff, I've spent 20 hours on something that's really high-level, and I really, really, really want to put my all into it. And but that might be something that requires a singing audition, and then I'm going to a studio, and I want to make it perfect. But You're not talking about 20 hours in front of the mic. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, yeah. Really? I've done that a couple times. For really high-level things, um, wow. one of which I, I, I did end up um, booking. Um, but spending, if I really know I can nail something, and, and to be totally honest, that was a voice match, and it was something that I knew I could keep going over and over until I felt like it was right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the process, I was sort of coaching myself to be ready for the callback and the performance. Yeah. Right? Um, but generally speaking, if there's... You know, maybe there's an animated piece of copy and I'll, you know, I'll do it in half an hour or something. That's a good day. Other times I might spend three hours on something if I have the time. Wow. Um, but part of it is how I'm working it out. So okay. I don't recommend this for other people. I'm wired to have a combination of like being self-critical, listening for something, but also knowing when it's not authentic. My process mm -hmm. is always three things. Knowledge empathy, and then the voice print. Uh -huh. So I have to have all of the information. I need to research if this is an existing character. I want to see and hear and understand and read about every iteration of this character. Mm -hmm. I want to look at renderings. I want to understand how it, if this is a comic character, I want to read everything I can. What do you do, though, when so often we are given auditions with a complete lack of information? Then I have to base it on whatever I read in the sides that I can discern. Number one, if it is a game, if it's a piece of game copy and it's been scrubbed, I am I'm the jerk who will look for any clue I can to figure out what the franchise is, mm -hmm. or at least find out who's developing it, what have they done before, what's the aesthetic, what's the heart behind what they usually do, what kind of storytelling are they interested in, mm -hmm. so that I feel like I'm, as much as I can, collaborating with a developer. Yeah. Right? That's really where it comes from. Because if, if I can't find, if I don't have enough knowledge, if I don't have enough information, if I can't, if I can't find a fact, right, that will help ground me, mm -hmm. then I'm not going to feel like I'm collaborating with the creators. And, and I, can, I can just inform our listeners, uh, I think you probably would agree with this, when we get animation auditions, <laughs> we usually do get this information yeah. because the animation people understand that there's got to be a certain level of collaboration. In the video game world, there is such fear that things are going to get released or leaked too early. And there's, there's so, probably because there's so many more people involved mm -hmm. in making the game that they just keep everything wrapped down so tight that often the material that we get for auditions is, as you say, scrubbed. It, yeah. It's so sterile and lacking in information that we're trying to build a dinosaur with just a couple of teeth. You know, like there's not much to work with. Well, that's that was a big part of the... Uh, a talk I gave um, at GDC this past year. With, the uh, Game uh, Developers Conference. Yeah, the yeah. Game Developers Conference um, with uh, Eve Eschenbacher. We uh, presented a talk this past year in San Francisco on collaborative approaches to getting great voiceover performances. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can certainly circle back to that. But but one of the things that, that I felt like it was really important to touch on is like explaining to developers, here's what a voice actor is doing Mm -hmm. When we get your audition sides, mm -hmm. right, if, if you're completely compulsive like I am, you know, we're researching everything we can to try to figure out what it is you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If you don't give us a picture, 
of the character, even just a, a placeholder picture, mm. our brains aren't looking to solve that puzzle. Let me put a pin in that for a second. So you know this as well as I do. Our brains are natural problem solvers. Mm. We want to solve problems. Our brains are wired that way. Mm. We want to solve puzzles. If I gave you a 1,000-piece puzzle, mm -hmm. shook it up, put it in a shoebox, and handed it to you and mm -hmm. said, go. Mm -hmm. If there's no picture, you're going to find the corner pieces, you'll find a couple of edges, but after a while, you'll probably be like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm bored. I, I'm not going to figure this out. You'll mm -hmm. walk away, right? Or you'll kind of half ass it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> be like, uh, here's the guy, and he sounds like this, mm -hmm. right, to take the voiceover. Analogy. Right, analogy. Yeah. So, or... Instead, if I hand you a 1,000-piece puzzle and I show you the picture, mm -hmm. right, and, and there it is on the front and it's a beach scene, mm -hmm. your brain starts firing toward possibility. Your brain wants to solve the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And it gets excited. Ooh, okay, those blues match. Oh, wait, 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 there's the sand. Oh, wait, that looks like a starfish. I, I can see that. That's, that's an edge. Because your brain knows what it's looking to fix. Your brain mm -hmm. knows what it's looking to depict. It, it has an end state that it's trying to Correct. achieve. So if there's a picture of a character, <clears throat> I'm filling in that blank. Same thing with, you know, any other part of the character description. Tell me what her personality is like. Tell me what her relationships have been. Tell me who she's talking to and why. Mm. Give me a sense of what she looks like. Give me mm. a sense of her age. Is she human or is she alien? And once I have all of that information, my brain is naturally looking to find a way for me to interpret that and give you a character that might or might not solve the puzzle you have in mind, but mm -hmm. at least it'll be authentic for me. Mm -hmm. And that will matter. Mm -hmm. I might not voice in my audition exactly what you were listening for, mm -hmm. but it will be authentic. It will be organic because it came from a puzzle I worked to solve. Yeah. That's knowledge. And yeah. the second step for me is empathy. Yeah. Right? Finding a way to empathize with the character. So how do you go about doing the empathy? Same way I go about connecting with any human. Right? I want to understand where that person's coming from. If it's not on the page, I'm going to ask the person. So if I don't see it on the page, I'm going to ask the character. <laughs> When you say ask the person, you don't mean ask the writer or ask the game no, developer. No, I mean literally I will sit there and try to, to guess from what has been written, right? So, okay, this person's talking to her brother, and she seems really angry, but we don't know why. Mm -hmm. Okay, so why are you angry with your brother? I might ask the character in my head. And if I don't have an answer for it, and I can't find something... I'm going to kind of find something that makes sense to me. Maybe something he said. Mm -hmm. And I'll empathize with, she felt insulted by this thing that he said. Maybe it's not totally on the page. But for me, I'm going to do my best. And hopefully there's enough on the page that even if it's a villainous character, I want to find a way to empathize with, why does she want to kill all these people? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, when have I felt angry? How can I believe that someone could get to this point? where she would feel this vicious. So the character is like a thought form that you're conversing with. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, I like what you said. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it actually, I think, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, comic book fans, I believe this is the way Grant Morrison writes his comic books. 
is that he will basically, when he had to write um, uh, Superman, mm -hmm. he basically would sort of go through this ritual, almost like trance state, mm -hmm. and invite Superman mm -hmm. to come talk to him. <laughs> and that he would literally say, I can visually see Superman sitting on the edge of my bed. And then I just ask, Supes. I say, mm. hey, Clark. I love so, it. what are you upset about? Yeah. What bothers you? Right. What are you hoping for? Yeah. And Superman would answer. So I I can't say that my process is that truly beautiful as what as what you're <laughs> describing. But look, I think you I'm, might involve some hallucinogens in there as well to help with things. But you know, okay, well, like, obviously that is my process. I mean, let's just call it. No, um, no, it's not, kids. So um, look, I I I'm from a family of shrinks. Right? I've been uh -huh. in and out of therapy since I was 11, and I have a master's in clinical psychology. Uh -huh. Right, The same muscle, the same empathic muscle is used right? when I want to hear someone's story, another human person that I'm conversing with or having lunch with or sitting down with to, to hear and to see if I can be helpful. Uh -huh. right? it's, it's how can I understand your world? Let uh -huh. me in. The same thing happens when I'm writing. Uh -huh. So since playwriting as a kid, I've also written for television since. I am, you know, still doing plenty of writing in my life. I have a project that I wish I could talk about right now, but it's very exciting. Good. And um, very incredibly fulfilling, and I can't talk about it without crying anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I've, you know, I've written for, for games, uh -huh. um, and it, it all comes from the same place of empathy. Uh -huh. Voice matching is similar, right? It's listening for the music, but it's also empathizing with the character. How can I have affective resonance with the character? It all uses the same skill set which for me is interpersonal. Uh -huh. Art is interpersonal, art is collaborative. So using all of those skills at once, to me, is how I find a character. It's very interesting you say that, especially about voice matching, because you could look at voice matching as a very technical research-based <laughs> acting right. challenge. Mm -hmm. And it, it is, mm -hmm. and requires a, a ton of research. Uh, and you could think, oh, well, as long as I've got my research down and I've figured out all the melodies mm -hmm. and I've, got, I've nailed the <laughs> accent and the intonation right. and the timbre, then I'm good to go, right? <laughs> I was literally voice matching Orlando Bloom for Pirates of the Caribbean hmm. but during that big franchise when, and later for Lord of the Rings stuff as well. And uh, this is through Disney Character Voices, mm -hmm. who is the Yay. division of Disney that is in charge of keeping all the characters sounding consistent. And I probably My told friends. this. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I probably told this story a million times on the podcast already. Uh, but just to share with you in the moment, um, there would be times when I'd be doing it, and I knew I was nailing the accent and the intonation, and everything else. And the Disney producer would say, "Yeah, it's not really. I'm not really buying it." And what would have to happen is mentally, what I would do is I would literally imagine Orlando's face like a mask mm -hmm. that would go over. My mind. All, it was not about any technical solution. It was totally an empathetic identification mm -hmm. with this other person who, mind you, I have never met. I have never been in the same room with this, this person. I don't even know if I'd ever watched any interviews of his but at this point. But you've been him. But I've been him. Mm -hmm. And when I would do that, when I would basically put on my Orlando mask and say, I am now Orlando Bloom, mm -hmm. it would work. Those are the takes they would keep. <laughs> So that, that empathy there is a little mystical. 
there. It is. I mean, and, and, and you know, in the, the same conversation can be happening in another multiverse right now. And we could be talking about acting technique. You could t- talk about, you know, method acting and, and, and making sure that you feel it as if it happened to you and you recall the thing that happened to you as a child and then you're crying because you're remembering this thing. It's just a different way of having the same conversation. Mm-hmm. For me, I've, I've been the confidant for my friends since I was a child, mm-hmm. you know, which put me in some really weird positions as a kid. I'll bet. And I've loved it. I've loved being able to talk to people about the things that are important to them mm-hmm. and having those profound conversations and, and feeling like I can be the secret keeper, you mm-hmm. know, for, for my friends who need, needed a place, a safe place to put something. And that's the same element for me as becoming a character or having a conversation with someone on stage or now in a booth. Mm-hmm. To make it real, I have to be genuinely curious about the other person. Mm-hmm. And I am. That's how I operate my life yeah. is through curiosity and, and, and following, you know, what's that shiny thing over there? I will chase it into oblivion mm-hmm. because I want to know what it is. Yeah. And if it's about another human person... I, I want to understand them. Yeah. Whether that person is someone physically in front of you mm-hmm. or a thought form or an idea exactly. that needs to come to physical fruition right. through your uh, skills. Or imagination. Or imagination. Um, and so the third part you said was voice print, right? Mm-hmm. So then how does the voice print part of the equation work? It tends to just fall out of my face. So once I've done... Do you catch it before it hits the floor? No, no, <laughs> it just kidding. splatters on the ground. It's kind of gross. It's fine. I have a cleanup crew. Don't worry about it. Um, exactly. I, uh, I, I do find that once I have enough of an understanding of what's happening in the scene, who is this person, what do they want, what do they need, you know, what else in the archives of this, if it's a comic character, if there's something existing, what can I learn, and then how can I connect with this person? Mm-hmm. If I've done my homework properly, the voice naturally arrives. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's an offshoot of my regular speaking voice and I never flip into something that sounds odd or transformed or young or, you know what I mean, silly. It's well, sure, that like a, or it, if you had a character that had a, a very thick accent or something. Right. It just organically finds itself. If I start with voice print... If I start with, ooh, this character could sound like this, I'm screwed. So, isn't that fascinating, though? Because when it comes to voice matching, which is something that it seems that you have some fascination Mm -hmm. with, Mm -hmm. one would think it it does start with a voice print. Hmm. Actually, for me, one of the... One of the voice matches that I do the most Mm -hmm. was one that I had no idea I could do. Hmm. Um, at the time, there were a couple of other voice matches coming up at the same time, and I thought, oh, I'm really close to that one. Mm-hmm. That's a really young and sweet sounding. I'll, that'll be mine. And I worked really hard, too hard, on the sound of it. And then I got to this other one. And I studied the character. I, I watched what I needed to watch. I read the lines, and I kind of felt a connection to her. And then all of a sudden I started speaking and I went, oh my God, I sound just like her. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. Yeah. So all I can say is that when I'm coming up with a new character, I have to trust that I'll find the voice last. 
doesn't mean I don't play around with it, by the way, once I've gotten through knowledge and empathy and I just, oh, the voice print's there and then I run with that one. Mm-hmm. It just means that if I try to start with a sound I like first, it never sounds authentic. It never feels authentic. It's mm-hmm. me trying to put on a sound that I think someone else will think is interesting. Yeah. Right? So I think, I think trusting that the, it's like the foundation, you're not going to put the roof on a house without the foundation. You're not going to put the roof on the house without a house. Yeah. Right? And, and you're not going to paint the house until you have walls. Yeah. <laughs> so you sort of need a base that's sturdy enough. And yeah. then you can play around with it. So isn't that interesting? Even, I mean, obviously when you're dealing with a, a character that you're creating originally, you, it's, it, it makes sense to do research, empathy, and then voice print. Mm-hmm. But even when your job description in a voice match mm-hmm. is to match the voice print as exactly as possible, mm-hmm. it still has to be research, empathy, and the voice print last. It does. Look, I do, I, I'm, I'm sure you do as well, I, I, I do some voice matching in ADR for like trailers, right? There mm-hmm. might be a celebrity who doesn't show up for their session if they don't want to do their, their TV safe version of their film and maybe you do <laughs> right. the ADR for all of their lines. Um, you know, a lot of times we don't have the luxury of being able to research. I might be sent, you know, here's this person's, uh, this famous person's voice. Um, here's a movie that hasn't been released. We can't tell you anything about it, but here's their voice. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, sometimes it just does come down to, can I make the sound? Yeah. Right? If it's something like that. Um, and But in that case, you're sort of spackling. You're sort of patching exactly. a hole in the wall. Yeah. You're not yeah. carrying. Not carrying it. Yeah. No. So, yeah, I mean, and, and, and vo- it's funny, you said um, timbre. No, you said something else musical. But for me, voice matching is all music. Mm-hmm. The sound of voice matching. Mm-hmm. It's what are the notes that the person's hitting? What's the cadence they use? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, can I biologically recreate that? Yeah, that's what, I think yeah. that's what I mean by timbre. Yeah. Like, for instance, when I did the Orlando Bloom voice match and Disney character voices was so happy with it, <laughs> they said, can you also voice match Commodore Norrington, who's played by Jack Davenport? Mm-hmm. Well, Jack Davenport and I used to go clubbing in London. No And way. so I was like, oh, I'd love to voice match my buddy Jack, you know? I mean, we haven't seen each other for years. I don't know if you'd even remember me at this point. But, uh, but you know, I, and so I, I brought Jack's voice up, and I can't do Jack because he's a smoker. Oh, interesting. And there's just too right. much damage. Right. And I can't, right. it's just never going to sound right. So I had to be like, guys, no, I can't do Jack. I'll do Orlando all day long, but I can't do Jack. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, Wow. That's I like that. That's that's progression. That sort of um, the research, the empathy, and the voice print. Then, do you find sometimes with the voice print, like with accents, is that do you still do this sort of research empathy thing, or is the is an accent? Because I know you play. Mm-hmm. Is it Crimson Widow mm-hmm. with the with, with the mm-hmm. very thick Russian accent? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, how how does how did you go about? Acquiring your Russian accent. <laughs> uh, the secret to my Russian accent is that it's actually Ukrainian. Truly, well, no. That's mine I... tends to be more Czech. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, there's a. Um, I love the um, uh, the international dialects of English archive. Yes, the website. Um, yeah. Which uh, I think we we probably referenced back in the interview I did with Eliza Jean Schneider. But yeah, the IDEA, the mm-hmm. international dialects. Dialects archive. It's yeah. it's really wonderful because it's not. Um, uh, how to create an accent for actors website. Right. It is real human people from all over the world having contributed their voices. Um, there are two passages that are 
red, you can, you know, they, they might do comma, get secure. They might do the rainbow passage. I have them both memorized at this point. I know. I don't need to hear comma, get secure <laughs> one more time. One more time. <laughs> oh, my God. The goose. Stop with the goose. I'm talking about the goose. Um, but those listening to real people speak um, is also really inspiring for me, mm. right? It, it, it's less, again, less performative. I, I appreciate David Allen Stern. Um, mm. and, and who right? for listeners don't know he has a whole series of acting with an accent yeah. and he tries to break it down uh, technically and he's got really good uh, he's, technical points on he's things he's incredible he's yeah. a genius yeah. and when I've used those and I've, I've used them before mm. sometimes I have found them more useful for more theatrical sounding things Sure. because you, I end up imitating the theatricality. Yeah. But if I listen to a real Ukrainian woman, and there's mm-hmm. the woman I've been listening to for so long, I feel like every once in a while I'm like, I should find out who she is. Yeah. Someday hang out with her. I'll just go visit her wherever she is. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yes, so when I get a piece of copy and it says an audition, um, and, and they say we want a Russian accent and she's, you know, this kind of character, yes, I am absolutely going to listen to my my favorite accent um their little accent tags that i like or mm-hmm. or you know whichever file i'm i'm partial to i have one that i love for received pronunciation sometimes it's helen other times it's miriam um but i i do <laughs> mean i i have these you know little bookmarks for mm-hmm. all of my my favorite um uh I guess, excerpts from, from the International Dialects of English Archive. Mm-hmm. And I did when I had my audition for Crimson Widow. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly checked out my accent to make sure that I was consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still starting with the character. Yeah. Um, because when you're listening to those <laughs> clips, you don't... Yeah, I mean, I've said this too. Like, you can start with the David Allen Stern stuff if you want, but then what I usually do is I go find a podcast mm-hmm. of somebody speaking with that accent yeah. and then go, okay, now I'm yeah. going to actually make it seasoned. I'm going to make it rooted. I always try to find a real person, right? Not a character in a movie, but a real person. Yeah. So if someone says, we want you to do, um, we want you to sound like Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Okay. I look up Reese Witherspoon interview. Sure. I don't look up Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home Alabama. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what she sounds like when she's just talking off the cuff. Wow. And that's because I'm, I'm looking at okay. Right. I want to hear what the real person sounds like. And then if it's not a voice match for a celebrity and they say, you know, we want this person from West Texas, I will look up a news segment. This is why it takes me so long to do some of these things, sure. because I go on YouTube and I want to see, you know, where where in West Texas. So first I will go to a map. I will figure out what are some towns in West Texas. Then I will look up a news story of something that happened in West Texas. And then I will find the person on the street who was interviewed, and I will listen to them speak. How in the world did you do this before the age of Google? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But I, when, I, you know, when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I feel like the need for that kind of research mm-hmm. grew in tandem with the technology. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't feel like those things were as available to me in terms of the opportunities yeah. before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had plenty of David Allen Stern um, mm-hmm. cassette tapes and CDs back in the day yeah. um, for, for accent work. But, you know, now it's it's it is different. 
And I, I do appreciate being able to find the authentic human people. Because it's funny, I, I, I mean, I had do, been doing Orlando Bloom as Will Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean for so long that, that when they uh, tapped me to do Legolas in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I've got this down cold. Mm. But he sounds different in Lord of the Rings than right. he does in Pirates of the Caribbean. And I was like, oh, crap, I've got to do the same process that I did for Pirates, I've got to do for Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And I had to pull all of his lines and make sure that I could sound, because he, he did, he had a different attitude in that film. Interesting. And it didn't sound quite right. the same. And then you have to study that, and yeah. you have to get to know that character, and you can't just rely on your old tricks. Wow. Right? Crazy, crazy. I know I am. Oh, no, you just mean, yeah, no, crazy, obviously. Crazy. (laughs) It's cool. (laughs) It's fine. Crazy cool. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Not any sort of uh, comment on your own uh, mental state. Um, That's, I mean, that's... That's so insightful, and I really appreciate you sharing that uh, understanding of of your process and (laughs) how you do that. People often ask me, what is the secret to becoming a successful voice actor? Many of them think there is some trick or gimmick that they can use to bypass the dedication and focus that it takes to become truly masterful at something. However, if I really had to answer that question with a single phrase... The secret to becoming a successful voice actor or a creator of any type is this. Become obsessed. You must be obsessed with the art form you are pursuing if you want to truly master it. Julie is a classic example of this. She's not just interested in what motivates people's behavior. She's fascinated by it. This fascination inspires her to relentlessly research and study a character until she understands them inside and out. It's what drives her to spend 20 hours in front of a microphone polishing a performance. It's what makes her study an accent with such dedication that she not only knows the names of the people whose accents she admires, but she can recite their stories verbatim from memory. This kind of dedication to artistic mastery can't be forced. It must come from a true desire to learn and grow. There really is no substitution for obsession or fascination when it comes to being wildly successful at your chosen artistic endeavor. What's also amazing about Julie is that her obsession is not myopic. She doesn't just focus on one of her skills to the exclusion of others. Instead, her joy comes from weaving all of her interests together into an integrated whole. Her acting, writing, and psychological studies all inform and reinforce each other. Pursuing any one of them without the others would leave Julie feeling unsatisfied and would eventually lead to her becoming disinterested and fatigued. The interplay of all of her interests is what keeps her inspired and satisfied as a creator. Julie's three-step process of getting knowledge about her character, finding empathy with their psyche, and then allowing that to inform the voice print of the character is a process that I think many professional actors go through, even if they can't articulate it that clearly. I certainly find myself approaching characters in that way. Sometimes I'll even go through the three-step process multiple times, revising my choices with each iteration. I may research a character, feel that I understand what motivates them, try a voice print to see what I think, and find that I'm unsatisfied with the results. I will often go back to the beginning and ask myself if I truly understand the unique background of this character, or am I falling back on cliché and stereotypes? Then I'll wonder if I'm truly empathizing with the character by looking at the world through their eyes, 
or am I actually judging them, and by doing so, holding them at an emotional distance from myself? The more rigorous and honest I am with myself about my understanding and identification with the character, the more authentic my performances become. Ask almost any professional actor, and they will likely tell you that the characters they are best known for are also the ones whose psyches they understand most intimately. Strive to get as emotionally close to your character as possible, and you'll be amazed at how your performances improve. Next time, in the third and final part of our interview, Julie shares with us her advice for aspiring voice actors. We also talk about how she manages her time with so many compelling interests in her life. We even discuss how she uses her expertise in psychology to not only better understand the characters she's asked to play, but also how she helps game developers collaborate more productively with voice actors. I look forward to sharing more of Julie's wisdom with you next time. Until then, I wish you all the best in your voice acting endeavors. Take care. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.